You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. We continue our examination of the events of year six and seven of the Hijrah during the life of the Prophet As we have examined before, after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, Muslims found freedom to propagate Islam, to reach out to other villages, other tribes, other nations, inviting them to Islam. Because finally, Quraysh recognized the presence and the existence of Muslims, and they made a peace treaty. So Muslims could finally breathe and focus on their mission, improve their society, and take their teachings to other societies. Hence, it has been reported that in year six or seven of the Hijrah, the Prophet sent letters to six kings who had great power in the land. And he sent six messengers to deliver these letters to those kings or rulers. The Prophet had these letters written in Arabic, the language of the Quran. Now why did the Prophet insist on keeping the language of the letters in Arabic? He, he had interpreters who could have translated them, but the Prophet wanted to keep the Arabic language to establish Islam as a powerful reality. Because at the time, Arabic was the language of Islam. And this makes others respect you more. You have your own language, you have your own um, ideology, you have your own culture. That's really important. It indicates your confidence, it indicates your strength. Also, by spreading your language, you're actually spreading your teachings. Because the language carries your ideology. It carries many of your teachings. So the Prophet wanted the Arabic language to spread around the world. Many people today ask the question, Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. You know, is, is Islam only centered on the Arabic language? Is it only for Arabs? Arabs. But the Arabic language is the vehicle that Allah chose for the Quran. And that is important. That's why every Muslim should learn Arabic. Even if, at, if it's at a basic level. Because this is the language that your Lord chose to speak to you. Learn it. And I feel most of us Muslims these days don't really care about the Arabic language, unfortunately. And especially now we have, that we have all these resources translated, we're like, okay, no need to learn Arabic. That's not the case. If... Imagine this example. Have you seen teenagers who are in love or people who are in love with each other? Imagine if your loved one writes you a letter in their own language, right? And you truly love this person. Honestly, if you really love them, do you want to read their letter in the language they wrote or you have someone translate it for you? Which one? In fact, imagine if you're speaking to your loved one, right? There was a brother who was engaged, so the speaking was halal, alhamdulillah, assalamu alaikum. 
the brother was engaged, he says, in the early days of our engagement, we'd speak for five to six hours over the phone. The minimum. Five to six hours. <laughs> now, imagine if you're speaking to your loved one and you have a translator on the call with you. Right? It, it gets the message across, but it's not the same. The translation may deliver to you the main points that you need to know, but it's not the same. So learning the Arabic language is really important. So the Prophet had these letters written in Arabic to show the world that this is the language of the Quran. This is an important language and I will hold on to it and every Muslim should hold on to it. Now, when it comes to writing these letters, it really required a great deal of courage from the Prophet to write them. Why? Most kings are very sensitive and they have their own attitudes. The slightest threat to their position makes them angry and makes them go crazy, right? Like imagine tyrants of the past. And they're very arrogant. They don't want to submit to anyone. And they would belittle the prophet. Who is he? He's not a king. Why is he even sending us a letter? So there is a great danger in them reacting very negatively to such letters. But the Prophet must continue his mission for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there was some danger in sending these letters because you're bringing attention to yourself. The Persian Empire is busy. The Roman Empire is busy. When you send them a letter, you draw their attention to Arabia. That requires courage. You have to be ready for that. These letters that the Prophet sent to these kings also demonstrate the universality of the Prophet's message. You know, today some Orientalists, they claim, yeah, the Prophet was only an Arabian Prophet who was only concerned about Arabia. That's not true. Look at the Prophet reaching out to all these other nations. He invited all of them to Tawheed and monotheism. And that shows you the Prophet was concerned about all people around the earth. He was not just sent for the Arabians. Now the Prophet had many letters written in his life. We're just now examining these six. Some reports indicate that hundreds of letters were written by the Prophet meaning he dictated for them to be written. Today, today, we have the text of about 185 of these letters, which the Prophet sent to kings, various tribes, and a lot of them have been preserved. Like I said, 185 is a lot. If you'd like to read two books, that are really good books in analyzing the text of these letters, I recommend the following. The first one is called Majmu'atul Wathaiq Siyasiyya, the political documents of the Prophet And this book is written by Professor Muhammad Hamidullah Haider Abadi. He's, he was a professor of Paris University. This is one good book if you're interested in seeing the text of all these letters with an analysis. Um, the second book, no, I don't think so. But he's done historical research about the political circumstances. So it's more of a neutral, um, you know, it's more of a neutral aspect. This second book, yes, it's written by a Shia scholar. The second book is Mukatabat uh, Makatib al-Rasul. Makatib al-Rasul. And Makatib means the letters. And this is by the scholar Ali Ahmadi. So he has written this book that also examines 
the letters of the Prophet I really recommend you to look into these books. They're both in Arabic, but it would be really nice to see the text of many of these letters. The first one was called Majmu'atul Wathaiq Siyasiyah. And the second one, Makatib al-Rasul. Okay. These six kings that we're talking about, who are they? Who did the Prophet write to? Number one, who was the closest king to Arabia? Do you remember from our previous classes? Geographically, who was the closest king to Arabia? Habasha, yes, Ethiopia. And who was the king of Ethiopia? Najashi, he's called the Nagus. Najashi or the Nagus, he was the king of Ethiopia. The prophet writes him a letter. Another ruler that the prophet wrote to was the Caesar, Qaisar. Qaisar, he, his name was Heraculus, Hirqil. Heraculus is considered the emperor of Rome. In Arabic, the word Qaisar means the emperor of Rome. So when you hear the word Qaisar, it means the king of Rome. That's what it means. And when we say Rome, what Rome are we talking about? Eastern Rome, modern day Turkey, Istanbul, Constantinople. And that's called the Byzantine Empire. And basically the Roman state was divided into two blocks. You had the Eastern block and the Western block. That's because in the year 395 AD, like a few centuries before Islam, um, Theodosius the Great, who was the great Roman emperor, he divided his empire between his two sons. And so you had two uh, Roman countries. You had Western Rome, which is in the Italy region, and you had Eastern Rome, the Byzantine Empire, which is in modern day Turkey. So the Prophet sends him a letter we're going to examine the letter that the Prophet sends to Qaisar. The third king that the Prophet wrote to, year six or seven of the Hijrah, is Kesra. In, in Farsi, in Persian, they call him Khusro. And he was the ruler of Persia. The two greatest empires at this time around Arabia were the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire. Maybe the Chinese empire was also a great empire, but it was really far. But these two were really powerful and they were advanced. We can say from some aspects it was even more powerful than the you know, Chinese um, empire, especially the Persian empire. They were really advanced, they were really powerful. Now these two empires, the Persian empire and the Roman empire, they were not interested in Arabia. They would fight amongst themselves, the Romans. And the Persians, they would fight. They had major battles. But they were never interested in Arabia. Can you guess why? Exactly. Who's, who's, what, what is Arabia? It's a desert land. It doesn't even have, an, it does not even have fertile ground for farming. Has no like natural resources at the time. And you have a bunch of nomads in the deserts. Who cares about them? They didn't really care about Arabia. That's why the Romans were not interested in invading Arabia. Neither were the Persians. Like, what do we get out of this? Just a headache for us. So this was the third king, Kesra of the Persian Empire. Number four, Al-Muqawqis. Where did he rule? Egypt. He ruled Egypt and the Coptic Egypts were under his rule as well. Number five, Al-Harith, who was the ruler of Asham, the Levant. And number six is Thamama, who was the king of Yamama. And where is Yam? No, not Yemen, Yamama. Where is Yamama? Central Arabia. 
So today, like the Najd Riyadh area, that whole area is called Yaman. That's why Imam Ali states, الحجاز, meaning Western Arabia, Mecca, Medina, Awl Yaman. Yaman is like more of the Eastern part of Arabia. So the Prophet writes a letter to these six kings. Who were the six messengers that were chosen for this task? Number one, Amr ibn Umayyah al-Damri. He was tasked to take the letter to Najashi. The second one was Dihya ibn Khalifa al-Kalbi, the famous Dihya al-Kalbi. He was entrusted with the letter to take to Qaisar, Heraclius, the king of Rome. The third one was Abdullah ibn Hadafa al-Sahami. He was taking the letter to Kesra. Number four, Hatib ibn Abi Balta'a. He took the letter to Al-Muqawqis in Egypt. Number five, Al-Shuja' ibn Wahab al-Asadi. He took the Prophet's letter to Al-Harith, who was the governor of Sham, the Levant area. And Salit or Sulayt ibn Amr al-Amiri. He took uh, the letter to Thumama in Yamama. So these were the messengers. Now some Muslims, when the Prophet wanted to send these messengers, they were really concerned about sending these messengers. You know, it's a dangerous task going to these big kings and delivering this message. Even some of the messengers, they, hesit they hesitated. They were concerned, you know, what if I go and get killed? These kings are tyrants. They could easily kill you. So... The Prophet realized that there was this concern. He called for a meeting. He called his companions and those messengers and the Prophet had to address them. And he gave this speech. He said, Ya ayyuhan nas, inna allaha ba'athani rahmatan wa kafa. Oh people, Allah has sent me as a mercy and for everyone. I'm not just your Prophet. I'm a Prophet for the world. Convey what I'm asking you to do. Don't be scared. And then the Prophet says, Don't disagree and dispute and disobey me like some of the Hawariyeen, the disciples of Prophet Isa السلام, They disputed and you know they didn't want to fulfill his command. Please, انطلقوا, go and don't do what the Hawariyeen did. So they asked him, Ya Rasulullah, what did the Hawariyeen do? The Prophet responds, he says, Isa He did exactly what I'm asking you. He gave them letters and he told them, go and de deliver them to these kings. Those that were tasked to go to a nearby place around Jerusalem, around Palestine, they accepted. It's less dangerous. We know the area, we can take it. As for those who were in task to go to faraway places, they did not like it. And they became slow and heavy in doing that. So Isa complained to Allah. He says, Ya Allah, you see, they're not even willing to deliver that letter. What happened? A miracle happened. One of the concerns of going to a faraway place is that you don't know the language of that place. Right? So it's difficult for you to deliver the message. Through the barakah of the dua of Isa those who did not want to go to the faraway places, they were concerned. They woke up in the morning and every one of them speaks the language of the ummah they were supposed to go to. 
This was the miracle of Prophet Isa So they went. This is the law of God, the command of God. Please go. Now some like Al-Waqidi, who is a historian and he has a work on the seerah, he says this same miracle happened with these six messengers. All of them became fluent in the language of the land they wanted to go to. So Dahya al-Kalbi, when he wanted to go to Rome, after this incident and the Prophet made this prayer, suddenly he spoke whatever the language the Byzantine Empire spoke. And the one going to Najashi, he spoke Ethiopian. And the one who was going to Egypt, he spoke the language of the land. And this is considered one of the ma'ajas, one of the miracles of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Now who wrote the letters? Did the Prophet himself write the letter? You know, in early Islam, not many knew how to write. Do you know in Quraysh, around Mecca and in Mecca, how many people knew how to read and write in the beginning of the Ba'tha? Some historians have said 17. From all of Quraysh, all of Quraysh, only 17 people knew how to read and write. Now when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, many Muslims became literate because Islam encouraged them to become literate. And the Prophet came up with an amazing strategy to teach Muslims how to read and write. What was that strategy? It had to do with the prisoners of war. Yes, exactly. So when Muslims would achieve victory, they would have prisoners of war, right? The Prophet would not kill the prisoners of war, even though the law of Arabia says, kill them. The Prophet says, don't kill them. He told those prisoners of wars who would be enslaved, do you want to be free? They would say yes. The Prophet told those of them who knew how to read and write, teach 10 Muslims how to read and write will free you. That's a genius way to free the slave, make him feel like he accomplished something, and teach the Muslims. SubhanAllah, show me more rahmah than that. Now even the slave when he would be freed, he had respect because he taught 10 Muslims how to read and write. He's a teacher now. Beautiful way to deal with the prisoners of war. So the Prophet would not write these letters himself. So no one accuses him of writing the Qur'an. So he avoided writing the letters himself. He had his companions write these letters for him. 